So last week, we began a new series of sermons examining the travel narrative at the center of Luke's gospel. The whole book really can be divided into three parts. The first part um, of the story of Jesus takes place in Galilee, uh, Jesus' home territory. The last part of the story draws to this climactic final week in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God cross, the empty tomb, the resurrection, the ascension. Uh, but the middle portion of the story kind of tells what happens as Jesus and his disciples leave the comfort of home, journey through the unwelcome and even hostile territory of Samaria en route to Jerusalem, en route to the cross, en route to the empty grave. Um, I hoped last week to kind of draw some parallels between Luke's Jesus story and our present uh, life circumstances. You know, we too left the comfort, um, normal, comfortable normalcy of Galilean life, of home life, of normal life when a viral pandemic began sweeping the globe a few months ago. Uh, we too are right now presently walking through an unwelcome, through, an, uh, through a perilous time. And we also have a hope for a victory in the days ahead. Uh, our live actually, lives actually have a lot in common with these 10 chapters of Luke, and so that's why we're going to be working through them now and in the weeks to come. Of course, um, this road that we're on, this road that we're walking, will never be, never be just about a virus, will it? You know, it has raised questions for all of us about meaning, about relationships, uh, about suffering, about salvation, about faith, about God, about government, about gathering. We're all trying to figure this thing out and trying to understand how to live in the moment. And so one of the questions that we got to ask is where can we turn in times of fear, in times of grief, in times of loss, in times of struggle, times of questions? As one agnostic has put it, that's you know, somebody who doesn't, isn't sure if God exists or not. As one agnostic has put it, when people begin to think about death, well, they begin to wonder about life after death. And when people begin to wonder about life after death, inevitably they have to think about, about God. It is unavoidable for us in this global moment which will forever mark a before and an after for us. The normalcy has been left behind. We're not yet to the end. We're, we're still in between. More people, I dare say, more people around the world are thinking about God in these last weeks, in this year of 2020, than ever before. It's probably not a bad guess, is it? Um, well, the good news is that the Christian church has an incredible answer to give to many of these questions. You know, we, we rarely have the answers to the why questions. We're human beings. We're finite. We don't know everything. We're not omniscient. We don't always have the questions, the, the answers to the why questions. But the answer to the who questions that we might ask, who is God? Who am I? How do I get to know who God is and what he wants? The answers to the who questions are, are very clear for us. And so 
if we can, let's jump right back into that, sh that strangely familiar middle section of Luke. Familiar even if we have never read it. Familiar because, well, it tells a story that in many ways we are walking right now. Let's jump back in to that strangely familiar story that Luke is telling uh, for us today in chapters 9 and 10. So you'll remember, if you tuned in last week, uh, that as Jesus gets going on the journey, several folks immediately drop out. Not a great way to start, you would think. You know, the first man discovers that following Jesus from comfort to victory is going to actually be hard. There's going to be some difficulty in between those two things. Um, it's going to be difficult and very uncomfortable. The second man discovers that this journey is actually the most urgent thing that he could possibly attend to, but feels other things kind of drawing him away. Uh, the, the last person, the third person, turns away from Jesus in the beginning, considers taking the trip, but struggles to surrender everything. Don't we all struggle with that? Everything to the one inviting him along for the journey. Um, as soon as we start hearing about it, three people drop out. Not a promising beginning, is it? Maybe, just maybe, you can relate to one of those figures uh, in the ways that you've responded in these last weeks. I know that I can. However, the in Luke, the failure of these three is contrasted with the eager obedience of 72 disciples that Jesus actually sends ahead of him into Samaria to do a few things, to announce his approach, to heal those people uh, who are ill, and to announce that God's, God's kingdom is at hand. It's the good news of the gospel. The, the, the kingdom of God is at hand in the presence of Jesus and now in his church. The 72 didn't respond by turning away. The 72 responded in faith, and they went in power. And then they returned. This is where we're at this morning. They returned full of joy. They can hardly believe it. People are responding to their message. The disciples themselves are bringing healing to people. Um, they demonstrate power over the evil spirits. Deliverance has arrived. The kingdom truly is at hand. They're, they're, they're seeing this. What joy. They return to Jesus to share these amazing experiences that they have had. And as they celebrate, other folks begin to listen in. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. You've been, you've been listening to some folks um, around you talking about Jesus these last few weeks talking about faith, talking about peace, talking about the incredible things that God is continuing to do in their lives. And you feel yourself being drawn in. But you still have some questions. Is it really that easy, you wonder? Uh, you follow, you get sent, and then everything is great, it's just like that. That seems maybe a little too simplistic, doesn't it? Maybe both things are true. You know, participating in the life of Jesus does bring some bring immediate victory, bring immediate peace. Even while life also in many ways gets more difficult. The Christian life is hard. You know, foxes, right, have holes. Birds of the air have 
nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Leave the dead to bury their dead, right? It's hard. The Christian life actually gets more difficult, but even in the midst of that, it also gives you the gift of peace, oddly enough. And the only way that you can discover what that means is by making the journey. And continuing, yes, continuing to ask questions. Faith doesn't mean suddenly all the questions disappear. You keep asking them, but, but now you're asking them of Jesus. You're asking them of fellow travelers with you who have maybe gone a little further and are coming back to report to you the things that they have experienced and seen in the world, in their own lives, in their own struggles, and in their own questions. As, as the disciples come back and report on their initial foray into Samaria, somebody hears what they have to say. A lawyer hears their testimony. This was not a lawyer like you might see appearing in a courtroom. This was a religious lawyer, a scribe, a student of the law, whose job it was in first century Israel to guide people into truth, and away from the conservative and the liberal, that cuts both ways, distortions of the day. This lawyer, this legal scholar, this scribe wants to investigate the claims of these disciples who have come back to report this incredible um, adventure to their teacher, to their rabbi. And I hope that you also want to investigate these claims as well. And so he puts Jesus to the test. The professor puts Jesus to the test. It's not the first time that Jesus has been tested, is it? You'll remember early in the gospel story how Jesus went out into the wilderness and was tested by the devil himself who tempted Jesus uh, to rule by power to avoid the road of suffering common to humanity, to, to just bypass that, to jump from comfortable Galilee to victory and, and to not walk the difficult and challenging road in between. He tempted Jesus to bend the knee to his broken worldly rule. Jesus passed the test. Wasn't the first time Jesus was tested. He'll be tested again when he comes to Jerusalem. Uh, tested in the garden on the night of his arrest, tested as he sweats blood in, the fear, in fear of the agonies which await him on the cross, agonies both physical and spiritual, as he wonders, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you in the midst of my trip? Maybe you've asked that question too. Jesus passed the test. He passes that test as well. Now, in this moment, as he's embarking on this journey, um, a religious scholar wants to test him, to check his orthodoxy, to see what this upstart potential Messiah has to say, to see if he's the real deal. Maybe you have similar questions too. Maybe as you embark on this uncomfortable journey from normalcy through hardship to victory, you also want to test the one, Jesus, who invites your company, who invites your trust, who actually invites your whole life. Maybe you want to test Jesus a little too. Here's the question the scribe asks. Teacher, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And certainly this um, must be one of the most important questions you will ever ask. For Jewish people, however, this question already had something of a ready answer. Um, and that answer was to keep the law. Jesus says, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the scholar says, well, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He summarizes the whole law, the whole Old Testament, essentially comes down to this. Love God and love your neighbor. It is what has now come to be called the great commandment. And this commandment um, has, long, has long been one of the essential and summary goals, not only of the church, but of, of our church here in New England. But the legal scholar has a follow-up. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? The scribe says, love God, love neighbor. But who's my neighbor? That's the follow-up question. Who is my neighbor? And it is in response to this question that Jesus tells perhaps his best-known story, a story that has shaped people, a story that has shaped the church, a story that has shaped, truly has shaped the world now for two, over 2,000 years. Maybe as you consider uh, walking in relationship with Jesus on this road that you now find yourself on, like it or not, you would do well to consider uh, a story that has changed the lives of billions of people. Maybe that would be a story worth considering. In response to that deep question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, is, what does the law say? What does God want from us? To love God, love neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Here's Jesus' reply. Listen carefully. Listen well. A man was going, from, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and left leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But when a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the scribe said, the one who showed him mercy.
And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, the church has been reflecting on and preaching on this parable for 2,000 years, uh, trying to get it off the paper, uh, trying to get it out of our ears, and then work down and into our hearts, worked out uh, into our lives, worked through our living, and then also into the world. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor may not actually be the right question. Who proved to be a neighbor, and how can we be like him are the questions that Jesus uh, wants us to ask. And because it's been preached on for so long and it's been studied for so long, it's been tried to be lived out and worked in and carried through for so long, uh, you could go many ways with this story. There's an incredibly rich tradition of people trying to embody this very teaching. Go a lot of different directions. You could hear Jesus call you uh, to be a neighbor yourself. Not just somebody who can identify who your neighbors happen to be. In effect, also defining who they aren't and who you then don't have to care for. Jesus says, no, no, you, you be the neighbor. You could hear Jesus uh, call you to see the good even in those you disagree with politically and religiously. The Samaritan, who is the hero of this story, would have been at odds with Jews in all of these matters. And yet he is the hero. Maybe you can see the good in those with whom you disagree. You know, you could find yourself in the shoes of those who have actually passed by on the other side at various points and times in your life. And you could use this as an opportunity then to reflect on your own living and in, on the ways that you have failed to love. Discovering here a chance, a chance to repent, to enter through repentance into a more fully into the sacrificial and loving kingdom life. That's how Jesus, as he was traveling around, summarized what it meant to come to faith, to come to a new life uh, with God. He says, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. The disciples were seeing in their journey into Samaria that the kingdom was at hand indeed, inaugurated by Jesus. How do you get in on it? Repent, turn away from the life that you've been living and believe, trust in Jesus. Maybe you can use this as a way of repenting of ways that you have passed by on the other side. And now in faith, trusting in Jesus, begin to care more, being a neighbor yourself, having um, a heart full of compassion. There's certainly plenty of opportunities uh, in the world right now to feel compassion. You could also, in this story, see how Jesus uh, flips the script on the Jewish disciples who were with him. They had, of course, left home themselves, uh, traveling. They, were them, they found themselves traveling through hospital territory in Samaria. And they hoped to arrive safely in Jerusalem, the city of God, right? But in the parable that Jesus tells them, he tells them about a Samaritan who left home, not a Jewish person. That he told them about a Samaritan who was traveling through dangerous Jewish territory, not Samaritan territory, Jewish territory, 
where somebody's already been assaulted and left for dead, he tells them about a Samaritan who wasn't only worried about himself and his own circumstances, but who was selfless enough to help the people around him as they also traveled that same difficult, arduous road. All of these things would be good for you and for me to reflect on. Maybe you can do some of that this week, just turning to the story. Luke chapter 10. But what I want for you to hear today, what I want for you to see this morning as we move from safety through COVID-19 towards victory, what, here's what I want for you to hear as we keep walking down this hostile road with Jesus. Carrying all these questions and maybe carrying all these doubts, carrying all these hesitations and carrying all these hopes that surely accompany us. Uh, questions that are focused for us today by the words of a Jewish scholar. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In this story of the Good Samaritan, I'd like for you to see all over again, or maybe for the first time, the gospel. The good news. In order to do that, it will require for us to find ourselves uh, and God in the context and the content of this story. But I believe that as Jesus told this parable, with its multi-layered meanings, uh, he meant for us to find him and to find ourselves on this Samaritan road. In the gospel story, it is you. It is we, it is humanity that is actually the one lying in the ditch of history. Beaten, wounded, bleeding, dying. Satan struck the first blow, approaching humanity as a robber. Kind of peacefully in the garden, but then striking quickly to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That was the initial blow. The continued blows that have rained down upon us have unfortunately, because of that initial fall, come by way of our own hands. We keep hurting each other. We continued the work of violence initiated there against ourselves. And history tells that story of war and strife and violence and theft over and over and over again. And you, here's the thing, you could also tell that, tell that story in an interior way, couldn't you? Not thinking about um, the large picture of humanity, but thinking simply about yourself, about your own interior life. I think you could probably tell that story about yourself too, uh, because Satan and others, Satan and other people, the devil and other people are not the only um, source of our wounds, of your wounds. We also are in this terrible habit of hurting ourselves, aren't we? And you know the ways. Can you remember that moment when you first discovered that you traveled a road through this world that is, in fact, full of danger? Certainly, we have all received a reminder of that fact in the year 2020. But that's not the whole story of 2020, and that's certainly not the story of humanity. That's not the whole story. 
Because as humanity lay, for all practical purposes, bleeding out in a ditch, having life leak out of them, having no resources with which we could save ourselves, even our advances in technology, which so many of us who live in this contemporary time uh, look to for salvation and for hope, even our advances in technology, as much good as they have done, they have actually, in the large picture, also led to more and more and more and more suffering and death. If you don't believe me, just look at the last century, if you want to think about it that way. More violence done against ourselves. As we, as we struggle there in that ditch for even the, enough voice to cry out for someone else to help us, as we found ourselves in that predicament, which our current circumstance kind of highlights and, and brings remembrance of, in that moment, the triune God decided to take a journey to. From the splendor and peace and abundance of God's heavenly home, right, the Galilee of sorts, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit uh, saw us in our misery, saw us even before the foundations of the world were laid with the gift of freedom that allowed us the ability to make our own choices. God saw us and determined, determined even then to enter into the story himself. In other words, God saw you. God saw you there and refused to pass you by. The Father sent the Son to be born of a woman and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He sent him to draw near to our hopeless suffering. And Jesus continues to draw near. He draws near to you as you struggle to breathe while a virus attacks your lungs. Maybe you've got an iPad in the hospital right now and you can hear this. Be reminded of that. He draws near as you stand beside your car. Cardboard box in hand. Uh, full of a few personal items that you kept on your desk at the job that you used to have. Uh, he draws near to you as you've been beaten up and cast aside. And even draws near to you who stand back. Maybe in a place of relative comfort and safety right now. You don't feel any impending danger. You're healthy. Your family's healthy. You're still drawing um, a, a paycheck. But Jesus also draws near to you who stand back and have the ability to maybe stand back. And now observe the state of the world and find yourself in your relative health and safely, safety, still yet asking the question, how can I inherit eternal life? The sun draws near, meets us on the road, gathers our lives in his arms, and then carries us to safety at great cost to himself. You know, so the, the Samaritan uh, paid for the man's room with a couple days' wages, two denarii, a couple days' wages. Jesus pays for our heavenly room in the Father's house by offering his whole life on the cross, from birth to the cross. The Samaritan pays for, the, for, for a meal at the innkeeper's table. Jesus offers us his whole being, body and blood, at the banquet 
table of God's kingdom. The Samaritan promises the innkeeper that he will be back and assures him that the man's debts are paid and will continue to be paid. Jesus promises also to return, doesn't he? With all of your debts paid in full because he was willing not only to pick you up out of the ditch and carry you to safety, but was also willing to take your place in the ditch of the world. To be crucified in between robbers and thieves and to join himself God um, as God to our entire lot, our entire experience, our entire human journey, to walk the whole road, not just part of it, so that it might, uh, for, for all of us, end not in destruction, but in Jerusalem. The city of peace, the city of God. So the invitation here isn't much of a stretch, is it? The invitation is to identify with the man in the ditch. The dying man, the suffering man, the man who has walked a hard road, the man who doesn't know when he will go, but notices that death seems like it could come a lot sooner than he expected when he walked out of his comfortable and normal life this morning and shut the door behind him. The invitation is to, uh, through the question offered up by this religious scholar here, the answer to all of our questions regarding how we might be saved, delivered, carried to safety. The answer to that question and the invitation here is to come to Jesus, who refuses to pass you by, who leaves the comfort of heaven, who leaves the 99, who journeys through dangerous territory to find you, to seek you out, who gives his life for you, a God who draws near, a king who pays the ransom, a savior who surrenders his own life for yours, a redeemer who promises to come again. That's the invitation, is to trust in him, to trust in that one, especially now. The invitation is to enjoy, to receive, to glorify Jesus, who has chosen to make you his neighbor. Chosen to make a room for you in God's house. Who has promised that having welcomed you into that house, having bathed your wounds in the waters of baptism, Christian, having fed you the hearty food of communion at his table, who, having done all these things, has also promised that he'll come again. It is not so hard to surrender in faith to a God like that, is it? It's not. It's not that hard. Who invites you, even in your surrender, to continue to ask your questions who invites you, even as you walk the hard journey of repentance, of suffering, to know his peace and to grow in relationship with him. Once you do trust in this one, an amazing thing happens. You'll find that you are eager to see that good Samaritan Jesus-saving story play out over and over again 
as now you begin to walk this uncomfortable path between with different eyes, spending a whole lot less time looking at yourself and a whole lot more time looking for strangers in the ditch. Strangers who, in God's economy of grace, says a writer, can become neighbors and by the Holy Spirit can also become members of the household and family of God. The invitation this morning is to keep walking, friends, but now with purpose and now with power. We're on the road with the Savior. And neighbors, our neighbors are calling out to us calling out to you at every turn. Will you pass by? Or you, will you come like Jesus, caring, healing, blessing, and rehearsing a story that is that transcendent story which includes all of our stories? It's the gospel. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may God bless you.